Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Future Tech Podcast. I am Alan Thomas, and today I have with me Dennis Nobelius. CEO of Zenuity. How are you doing, Dennis? I'm doing fine, and uh, thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. Oh, no, no problem. Let's uh, get right into it. What is Zenuity, and what do you guys do? Zenuity is all about making a self-driving car real. So we are doing focusing totally on software. We've been around for one year, and we are created by the safety leaders in the field. So we are 50% owned by Autoliv and 50% by Volvo Cars. Oh, okay. and and what drew you to uh, to this company? What? How did the company come about? Well, it got started as an idea, and I think that idea started Volvo Cars. Think about self-driving cars requires a different kind of talent pool. It requires immense efforts, and you need to combine the knowledge from a tier one and an OEM. I think that was the realization. That was 2016. Uh, or actually, the idea started a bit earlier, but 2016, it became real. And then I got a call. Then at that time, I was then the managing director of Volvo Cars in Switzerland for the market and sales. Uh, so then I got a call uh, on the last day of vacation asking me if I would like to be uh, you know, probed as a potential CEO for this new company to be created. And, you know, that, must, that, that was a dream come true. Being able to start, to actually start a startup, but from experience-based and, and uh, persons that know the game and get going with these two founders. So that was how it was created. And then we got going 
legally as of April 2017. So almost one year, a bit more. So you were able to have the experience of a startup with a little bit of, of kind of a high-powered company behind you. Yeah, exactly. So the, the point was that we started with all the uh, intellectual property uh, from all the cars and autoly combined. And we got the persons that created those patents uh, to join the company from start. Uh, and at the moment, we have added talent pool uh, on top of that. So we have like one third from Autoliv, one third from uh, from the OEM, Volvo Cars, and then one third from startups, uh, software industry, uh, telecom, and uh, what have you them to bring to the knowledge base and, and get going. So now we are close to 600 persons uh, in uh, like five locations in, in, in the world. And so what would you say is the, the ultimate mission statement for Zenuity? Uh, we have it as a tagline, make it real. And I think that is our, that's what we are going to do. So elevating people's lives by creating inspiring technology for safe and intelligent mobility. That's our internal uh, vision statement. So what we are doing is that we're bringing self-driving technologies to the road as a commercial product out to people to actually access and acquire or lease or whatever they would like to use uh, cars in the future. And uh, so we have a pretty strict uh, deadline on what we are going to achieve. So that, that's, that's clear for us. And so, uh, is your, and so is your initial focus on commercial applications or, or straight to the consumer? Yeah, straight to the consumer. That is, uh, that is our... Uh, so we actually, yeah, by 21, then we will have uh, self-driving technologies in, uh, in a Volvo car. That is for sure. And we also expect to have, and we also have some other OEMs as customers as well. And we take a little bit different approach if you compare us towards uh, Uber or towards Waymo. Or yeah, or maybe Apple. Let's see. So what? So what? Our approach is that we develop industrial software. So we develop software and do that for specific customer use cases. And we do it with industrial sensor set. So we believe that we can have commercially available um, products that you actually can access and, and buy within a normal kind of car budget, if you will. Uh, and we take it on from two different angles. Uh, the first one is that we say, all right. Let's solve the highway commute. Uh, that is on top of uh, the consumer research that we've been doing. Uh, everyone says that commute is really boring and takes a lot of you know energy away from uh, from uh, from your day at work. So we we've solved that specific use case on highway daily commute. So that's it. And then we take it from the other angle as well and say, right, parking is also an area which is not so fun. And that's also when a sensor set uh, similar to the highway commute can be useful. So then we also approach it from a low-speed urban driving case, if you'd like. And then we have a third one, which we also say that one is, seems really boring. And that is uh, when you end up in queues. And uh, that's actually the first one that we're going to launch. So traffic jam pilot, we call it. So that's when you have cars all around you. And uh, the, uh, the shift that we do is that we then move the responsibility away from the driver to the OEM and ultimately to us. So those, you could say, are our three use cases that we sold to 99 point very many nines and uh, being able to put that safely out on the on the ground in cars. Now, I was just going to conclude then. So, so the difference versus Uber and, and Waymo on those is that they are solving the uh, robot taxi problem. So from my understanding, when I speculate them, to remove the driver from the car. And by doing so, they have a perfect uh, business case that makes a lot of sense. But then you need to solve all the situations and all the uh, the complexity of an urban driving environment to make that a viable product. Uh, and uh, that's a different approach because then you need to solve all scenarios at one go until you have a final product. And from our case, we solved 
specific use cases one by one, and thereby we get to a product. And so the main benefits for the, the actual users will be to kind of get that time back and, and not have to deal with the actual stress of the traffic and just kind of make more out of their time, what would normally be their drive time, correct? Exactly. So you would actually, yeah, you would still have the driver behind the wheel, but you would give time back and you would also, of course, increase quite substantially the, uh, the safety on the road because we'll use the sensors. They are uh, operative uh, in operations uh, all the time. So we'll also use them as uh, driver support technologies, uh, and that will be uh, improving substantially uh, yeah, the safety on the road. And so will the, the so when the first models come out, will the, the main focus be on large urban centers, or does it need to be in rural areas first and kind of move inward, or, or how does that work? Uh, let's see how we uh, d- define the detailed rollout plan, but for sure where we start is where we'll have uh, good and viable HD maps as a base. Uh, to localize the car. So we'll we'll take it on a, we call it operational design domain. So we start with a, with a constrained, confined, you know, a bit more um, yeah, structure process, so to say. And then as we go, we open up that operational design domain, both in terms of, of speed on the highway, as well as geographically on where you can actually apply these kind of technologies. And then I'm talking about the highway commute. For the traffic and pilot, that one works immediately from day one globally. On, on any kind of uh, street or situation. And so in, in pulling this project together, what are some of the difficulties that you and your team have run across in, in trying to, to get this prepped and ready? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think uh, functional safety is probably the top one. Uh, that is, how do you design the entire system with you know 20 plus uh, different sensors and uh, three different redundant technologies? How do you design that kind of system so it's functional safe no matter what happens? If you know a brake cord is, is is cut or you know the uh, the power goes out or any kind of these situations, how can you design it so it functions safe and can be as safe as in you know riding a bus? I think that is a, a good comparison. So it should be on that kind of safety level. And how can you prove that, validate it, and secure that you have designed that kind of system? I think that is the the trickiest part. And then of course there are more things. Uh, sensor performance is one. Uh, for sure. Maybe the robustness and reliability of the LiDAR is one area where it's happening a lot at the moment. Uh, and then, of course, you have the uh, the compute and the processing capacity and uh, capabilities, uh, both to have an energy-efficient uh, compute platform uh, and designed in a way so you can actually run the different virtual software in different uh, cores and secure thereby that you are functional safe. So that's a few of the challenges. And then, of course, you have on top of that, you have all the corner cases. Uh, those extreme cases that never should happen, but you need to simulate and, and and realize that your car actually can behave properly in all those situations. A lot of complex problem solving and sensor performance in combination. That makes sense. Uh, oh yes, yes it does. It, it, I was just and I was just thinking that that probably one of the main issues that you would have to deal with is kind of being able to program in that sense of driver judgment, right? And in, in, in let's say in bad weather or or really high, dense traffic situations, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would think a lot to put up, you know, um, a, a safe box, <laughs> precautionary safety, kind of a, a box where you are safe and you're constantly having a, a route where you can take as a car, which is safe. And if something happens, you always save that kind of last, uh, last safe action in the car. So if something happens, the car acts according to the last uh, known safe route to. Uh, 
yeah, to either to a stop or a steering maneuver or similar. So absolutely. So the car itself will actually be able to learn in a sense and, and kind of improve over time, right? Yes. Then you go going into artificial intelligence and. Uh, here, there is, that's a huge area, and it, it's kind of the way that you design software in the future. It's like software 2.0, uh, but from a start, what we look at is from a start, then we look more into uh, object identification and free space detection and these kind of areas where it makes a lot of sense to run neural networks because it's also quite heavy to run them. Um, we do not today see that we use artificial intelligence for driving policy. That is how you decide as a car where to go. Uh, that could be within this kind of boundary box that I was talking about before. If you define that with more traditional algorithm, and then you can have the AI to work inside that frames, then it could work. Uh, but just to let the car loose on pure AI, that I do not really believe in the next uh, coming years, at least to be a viable way of, of showing that you're safe. Well, let's talk about a, a, a couple of the big wins or main achievements that you feel like you guys have have gotten these past few years i know you said that uh, you're not you're not quite at the, the the launch point yet but i'm sure there have been some big wins where you've gotten over some some serious challenges and you felt like yes we're really on our way now <laughs> yeah i mean we could take the starting point uh, and then i go more into the adas domain as we call it the advanced driver assistance uh, technologies uh, so the team and i'm referring more to the volvo uh, history uh, they actually managed to put in production the uh, Volvo XC60, which received uh, the highest active safety score that has ever been uh, measured in the UNCAP, which is you know, a neutral safety uh, agency that is measuring all the cars. Uh, so that was one major thing. And I also believe that Volvo Cars has put the active safety as standard on all the cars, which is really showing uh, great achievement when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, crashes, uh, avoidance of crashes, and support for the driver. So I think that was before the Zenuti was 